Welcome to the FFGF Podcast. We are a church located in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Our mission is to know God and to make Him known. We pray this message blesses you today. If you'd like more information about our ministry or how to partner with us, visit us at fredfulgospel.com. Thanks for listening. Because God gave me something to share with you. I've been glad about the variety that God has been giving me. I think God heard what my sister said. So he's been giving me different stuff. We talked about giving and being living sacrifices. And today I'm going to talk about something that I haven't talked about for a long time, but it really needs to be spoken to every one of us. And I've entitled this to you. You have a ministry when you have a message. You have a ministry when you have a message. Why don't you say it with me? I think it's good. You have a ministry when you have a message. And when you think about ministry, we often think of church leaders and we think of church positions in the body of Christ and we think of the fivefold ministry, full-time ministry. And I'm thankful for that. In fact, I asked John Gordon today, John Gordon, how many workers are on our staff? And he mentioned, well, dad, between 80 to 90. So let's say 85 folks here are involved in helping our church do what it needs to do. And they include the worship team, the ushers, the teachers, the nursery workers, a few pastors, the least of the group is that pastors, and then you had those who clean the church. How many are thankful for those who clean the church? And there's a number of folks that we're thankful for them. And those are very important. But I want to consider you to consider with me this morning the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had no pulpit. Amen? Jesus didn't preach in a church building. He had no regular order of service. The only thing Jesus had was a message. And that message changes. And that message is important. And so everyone here who has received Jesus as Savior has a message. That message is your testimony. It cannot be gainsaid. It cannot be denied. It has power. Because it's what God has done in your life. I want to remind you that I am in church today. And I am a pastor today. Because someone who had the message came our way. Many years ago, in my dad's shop, there came this godly woman. You've heard her name, Virginia. Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. Right? So she spoke to my mom, and right there in Corrigan Casket, right behind the sewing machine, the Holy Spirit came into my mother's life and became so real to her that she began to get that message. Eight days after she was saved, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to mention that the Holy Spirit is given to you to aid in your distributing the message. It says, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And my mother began to get that message. She was never ordained. She never had the training and the privilege I had to train for ministry. But she had the experience. She had the message. And my dear little mother led 12 souls to Christ. 
And there was a little church there that was a congregational church. And when I looked behind the pulpit and I saw the Book of Mormon, I really had a question about what was going on in that church. There was just about six people in that church. But my mother shared her message to that community. And that church grew and grew. And I was there when they had their, my mom's funeral. And so many got up and testified how Jesus used my mother. In fact, I have a little funny story to tell you about that. My mother was would witness to people, she'd invite people over to eat, simple things that we all can do, but sometimes we don't think it's our place. Well, today I'm going to underline to you that you have a ministry, and you ought to use that ministry. And so my dad had a friend, his name was Paul Sauerhofer, and he actually looked like his last name. <laughs> he was just a miserable fellow. Sauer is Hoffer. So anyway... My mom would witness to him, and my dad would witness to him, and we had him over to eat, and he accepted Jesus as his Savior, and Paul is at the table, and my dad and my mom are there, and my dad says, well, Tilly, I brought Paul to the Lord. I got one notch in my belt, and Paul said, sorry, John, it was Tilly. So anyway, <laughs> my poor dad. <laughs> <laughs> but consider this ministry of Jesus and consider that you have with your message something to share with the world I want you to turn with me to John chapter 3 a very familiar verse to us but very powerful John chapter 3 is such a great chapter in John chapter 3 we have told us how Jesus came and what his message was. John 3.16. Let's look at it. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. I want to tell you that the pulpit that God gave his son Jesus was the world. But Mark says to us as believers. Go you into all the world. Your ministry is your world. And your world needs your message. You are the one that perhaps holds the key between heaven and perdition. Victory or failure. Peace or hopelessness. This message is so important. And when I get to heaven, certainly the first thing I want to do is talk to Jesus. But then I want to go through the heavens and I want to find Virginia... And I want to kneel at her feet and thank her that she was so willing to preach the gospel. My mom got saved. My dad got saved. My sister got saved. I got saved. And I don't know how many were saved as a result of her coming and saving us. Oh, thank God through Jesus and the message. Folks, let's go into our world with his message. His message is... God sent his son that whosoever, say whosoever with me, whosoever. I don't believe in this partial salvation for the world. I believe in whosoever will. I believe that God's will is that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is no respecter of persons. There's some doctrines that I really feel are just wrong. 
God so loved the world. He died for the sins of the whole world. Not just some. And so as you have your message, you can know that everyone you speak to, God loves. Everyone you speak to, God has already atoned for their sins. God is on your side when you speak his word. God wants to save that one you're speaking to. You're in God's will and you're doing God's work. And God's work never fails. His word never returns void. It's a wonderful thing. You can give a testimony. And you might think, well, I didn't do so well. But you dropped a seed. And you did something that God promises he will water. He will cause it to bring forth fruit. And sometimes the first seed doesn't go all the way through. But it's never forgotten. I'll never forget the first time I heard preaching of the word. I was in New York City. I went to Union Square with a bunch of my friends. I don't know how my mom ever let me go. We weren't on such a good mission. Thank God we got home. Hallelujah. But I remember there was a preacher in Union Square. And I remember he had a little booth. I never heard the word of God. I never heard that Jesus loved me. I never heard that he died on the cross for my sins. And this preacher was preaching in great power. And as he's preaching, there were people, and there was a young woman who came up and knelt alongside and was just weeping and repenting. And I was just gripped by this. My friends thought I was weird. I've been called worse. And I'm standing listening to this preacher. And my friends are going, come on, Corrigan. What are you doing? That's crazy. Come on, Corrigan. Well... That was about 47 years ago, and I never forgot it. The word of God has power. Your testimony will change lives. You don't need a pulpit. You have his world to go into with the grace and the message of Jesus Christ. I want to remind us, I think verse 17 is very important to consider. Why don't you read it with me? John 3, 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That gives us something of a proper attitude in our message and ministry. We're not condemning. We're not holier than thou. We don't look down on people. We are talking to people God loves. And we are the messenger to bring him to a loving God, to bring them to a loving God, because God truly loves them. He didn't come to condemn them. He didn't come to make them religious. He came to set them free. Amen. Praise God. I want you to look at the end of this chapter, starting with verse 33. It says this, He that has received his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. Now this, first of all, talks about Jesus, but I think it refers to us too. We have his testimony, and we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit in us if we're born again. And we have the earnest of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit lives within believers. He talks through believers. He can give you thoughts. He can show you what to say to those folks that come your way. It says this, verse 34, for whom God hath sent speaks the words of God. Well, that's an interesting thing. Well, God sent Jesus. So, Pastor Mike, what is that to me? 
Well, do you remember the first night Jesus was raised from the dead? The first time he goes into the room, the doors being shut. And what did he say to his disciples? How many here are disciples? They're learners, they're pupils, they're followers of Jesus. He said to the disciples, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. But I don't do anything in the church. I don't have a big position. I didn't go to Bible school. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a pastor. No, you're just a vessel for God's use. You just have a changed life. That's all. All you are is a lover of Jesus. And I want to tell you, there's some pastors behind pulpits that don't have the message. It's not the pulpit that makes you effective. It's the message. You have the message. You are being sent. The world is your audience. And you have a mouth. Praise God. And you can speak that truth. We're going to go and look a little bit about the message. But let me just finish with 35 and 36. It says, For the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hands. What do you think he's talking about when he's saying all things? <laughs> Graduate from Liberty. He knows everything. Thank you, David. Thank you, drummer. Yes, all things. But I think it includes God loves the world. He loves people. And it's absolutely, I'm convinced, we can pray people through and the Spirit of God will draw them. Look at verse 36. Read it with me. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We don't like that part of the message, but it's part of the message. The Bible says there's no other name that under heaven by which we might be saved. You can't go out there and people are going to say to you, well, I'm good. You got to say, no, you're not. You might not have robbed the bank. Maybe you don't have a prison record. But we've all fall short of the glory of God. The only way to have entrance into heaven is by the blood, the sacrifice, the atoning blood of Jesus that was shed for your sins and my sins. And people need to know this is not just a way. This is the way. This is the message. And he that comes to me, Jesus said in John 6, I will never cast out. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? That you can know as people pray and you lead them to Jesus, they are received of heaven and God says yes to them. He that believes on me has everlasting life. Wow. What, have you ever thought about everlasting life? I think we think of a long time, but I want to tell you something about everlasting life. God is everlasting. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the ancient of days. He lives in the realm of eternity. Hallelujah! Because this old world's passing away. And the flesh is getting old. And it's getting wrinkled. And maybe it's getting a little tired. But the inner man is strengthening us day by day. Because we have a hope. We have a future. We're going to be like him. We have eternal life. This is not on my nose. 
But I want to tell you something I've observed. Have you ever gone back to cassette tapes and heard a powerful sermon, maybe from the 70s and the 80s, and there's still power in it? Why? Because the anointing is eternal. And what God does lasts. What God does is forever. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Has anyone ever had God speak to you here? All right. You know what God speaks you don't have to forget? You'll never forget. You never have to write down. God speaks is indelible. What God does is forever. He is eternal God. And he that believes on him has life eternal. Praise God. And then, but he that receives not the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. Folks, you know what? We lovingly tell folks. It's a must. Have urgency in your message because truly it's a very, very important one for people to get a hold of. I want just to look to another passage in Romans about the message. <clears throat> in Romans 10, one of my favorite passages of scripture, I'm sure very familiar to us. It says this, verse 8, Romans 10, verse 8. <clears throat> but what is it? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart. This is talking about believers witnessing. The word is nigh you. It's even not only nigh you, the word is Jesus and the word is in you. <laughs> All praise God. Praise God. The word is nigh thee, even in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. And this is the word. That if you, can, if you shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You don't know, need the Greek. You don't have to have the Hebrew. You don't have to understand every single truth in the Bible. You might be growing. But if you have Jesus in your heart, if you have the love of God, if you have the message, you have a pulpit, you have an audience, and it's a simple message. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Amen. Praise God. So simple, sometimes we miss it. Even preachers can get off on you know, side things and church growth and many other subjects in the Bible. But the first subject and the most important subject and the ministry he's given to everyone is to send the message that souls will come to Jesus. Praise God. How many here are today are here because someone witnessed to them? Raise your hand real high. Come on, raise it real high. Okay, it's about 90% in this congregation are in this meeting and perhaps in Christ today because someone shared their faith. Some of you are here today because people who were your friends just didn't become friends around the table talking about various things, but they were real friends. They gave you Jesus. They shared with you his truth, what he has done in their lives. And because of that, there's a number of families here today and they've been water baptized. And they're sharing their faith. Because that's how the multiplication of the gospel goes. I like John chapter 1. Before I read that in closing, I'm going to just read this precious verse. Verse 13, Romans 10, 13. 
For whosoever, or whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever means whosoever. Whosoever. Whosoever, whatever color, whatever background, whatever social status, wealthy, low income, it doesn't matter. Whosoever. Heaven is going to be filled with the whosoevers. And all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him? Verse 14 whom they've not believed, and how shall they believe on him? Whom they've not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Oh, now you're saying, see, it's your job. It says preacher. I want to give you the Greek rendering of a preacher. It means one who proclaims. A preacher is not a preacher because he has a robe, a pulpit of church. A preacher is someone who has a message, who proclaims the goodness and the power and the life-changing grace of Jesus. You all can be a preacher. Amen. Praise God. And how shall they preach except they be sent? I already quoted, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. He sent you. It says in verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith has to come into hearts, but they can't have faith until they hear. And they can't hear unless someone speaks. And if the church is silent, they're not going to get it on HBO. They're not going to get it on Cinemax. They're not going to get it in the schools. The only place they're going to get it is from the church of Jesus Christ and churches, God's people, going out and speaking the word of God. Folks, I heard one preacher say, I hope I can get this right. Put in my mouth the hoe. Put in my heart the woe. Put in my feet the go. I want you today to get the hoe. Hoe everyone who thirsteth. The woe, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And the go, go you into all the world and preach the gospel. How many will hear his call today? How many have been lethargic? It's so easy to become lethargic. To just think, well, let everybody paddle their own canoe. They'll find a way. It's not my responsibility. It is your responsibility. You must go to your Jerusalem and then your Judea and then the uttermost parts of the world. Praise God. Now, how many have heard of the Salvation Army? Now, we often think about it as perhaps a place where folks can go and get food and provision and help. We think of the Salvation Store, but there was a man who had a tremendous experience. His name was General Booth, and it was actually a soul-saving station And I just want my son to come, and he's going to read to you the testimony of General Booth, and then I'm going to just say a few things. The reason I don't want to read it is because...
I got chosen to read this six-page letter to you. Okay, first of all, I just want to read this to you. It's when I, growing up, when I thought of Salvation Army, I just thought of the people who ring the red bell and you ask for change when you walk into Walmart at Christmas time. But, but the Salvation Army had a very different beginning, and it, and it still does too. That's just a very small part of what they're doing. But let me just read this to you. This is about William Booth's ministry, and then I'm going to read to you just a few short um, things about the, the thing that compelled him to reach out to souls. So soon after his ministerial career in England in 1852, William Booth abandoned the concept of traditional church pulpit in favor of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ directly to the people. Walking the streets of London, he preached to the poor, the homeless, the hungry, the destitute. When fellow clergymen disagreed with Booth's, Booth's unconventional approach, he and his wife Catherine withdrew from the church to train evangelists throughout England. Now don't leave the church, but you need to go out into the world. Okay, the couple returned to East England and London in 1865 where many followers joined their fight for the souls of lost men and women. Within 10 years, their organization under the, operating under the name The Christian Mission had over 1,000 volunteers and evangelists. Thieves, prostitutes, gamblers, and drunkards were their, among their first converts to Christianity. And soon, those converts were also preaching and singing in the streets as living testimonies to the power of God. When Booth read a printer's proof of the 1878 Christian Mission annual report, he noticed the statement, The Christian Mission is a volunteer army. Crossing out the words volunteer army, he penned in salvation army. From those words came the basis of the foundation deed of the salvation army. From that point onward, converts became soldiers of Christ and were known then as now as salvationists. They launched an offensive throughout the British Isles that, in spite of violence and persecution, converted 250,000 Christians between 1881 and 1885. Their message spread rapidly, gaining a foothold in America. And soon after, Canada, Australia, France, Switzerland, India, South Africa, Iceland, and Germany. Today, the Salvation Army is active in virtually every corner of the world and serves in over 100 countries, offering the message of God's healing and hope to all those in need. I just want to read to you the moment that General Booth decided that it was time to get outside of the four walls and begin to speak. One, on one of my recent journeys, as I gazed from the coach window, I was led into a train of thought concerning the condition of the multitudes around me. They were living carelessly in the most open and shameless rebellion against God without a thought for their eternal welfare. As I looked out of the window, I seemed to see them all, millions of people all around me, given up to their drink and their pleasure, their dancing and their music, their business and their anxieties, their politics and their troubles, ignorant, willfully ignorant in many cases, and in other instances, knowing all about the truth and not caring at all. But all of them, the whole mass of them, sweeping on and up in their blasphemies and devilries to the throne of God, while my mind was thus engaged, I had a vision. I saw a dark and stormy ocean, over it, the black clouds hung heavily. Through them, every now and then, vivid lightning flashed loud and thunder rolled. While the winds moaned and the waves rose and foam towered and broke, only to rise and foam, tower and break again. In that ocean, I thought I saw myriads of poor humans, human beings plunged and floating, shouting and shrieking, cursing and struggling and drowning. And as they cursed and screamed, they rose and they shrieked again, and then some sank to rise no more. I saw out of this dark, angry ocean a mighty rock that rose up with its summit towering high above the black clouds that overhung the stormy sea. And all along, the, all, along, 
all around the base of this great rock, I saw a vast platform. Onto this platform, I saw with delight a number of the poor, struggling, drowning wretches continually climbing out of the angry ocean. And I saw that a few of those who were already safe on the platform were helping the poor creatures still in the angry waters to reach the place of safety. On looking more closely, I found a number of those who had been rescued industriously working and scheming by ladders, ropes, boats, and other means more effective to deliver the poor strugglers out of the sea. Here and there, there were some who actually jumped into the water, regardless of the consequences and their passion to rescue the, per the perishing. And I know hardly... And I hardly know which gladdened me the most, the sight of the poor drowning people climbing onto the rocks, reaching a place of safety, or devotion and self-sacrifice of those whose whole being was being wrapped up in the effort for deliverance. As I looked on, I saw that the occupants of that platform were quite a mixed company. That is, they were very divided into different sets or classes, and they occupied themselves with different pleasures and employments. But only a very few of them seemed to make it their business to get the people out of the sea. But what puzzled me the most was the fact that though all of them had been rescued at one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten all about it. Anyway, it seemed the memory of its darkness and danger no longer troubled them at all. And what seemed equally strange and perplexing to me was that these people did not even seem to have any care, that is, agonizing care, about the poor perishing ones who were struggling and drowning right before their very eyes, many of whom were their own husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, and even their own children. Now, this astonishing unconcern could not have been the result of ignorance or lack of knowledge, because they lived right there in full sight of it, and even talked about it sometimes. Many even went regularly to hear lectures and sermons in which the awful state of these poor drowning creatures was described. I've always said that the occupants of this platform were engaged in different pursuits and pastimes. Some of them were absorbed day and night in trading and business in order to make gain, storing up and saving in boxes, safes and the like. Many spent their time in amusing themselves with growing flowers on the side of the rock, others in painting pieces of cloth or in playing music or in dressing themselves up in different styles and walking about to be admired. Some occupied themselves chiefly in eating and drinking. Others were taken up by arguing about the poor drowning creatures that had already been rescued. But the thing that seemed to me the most amazing was that those on the platform to whom he called, who heard his voice and felt that they ought to obey it, at least they said they did, those who confessed to love him were much, excuse me, were much in full sympathy with him in the task he had undertaken. Who worshipped him or professed to do so were so taken up with their trades and professions, their monies, savings, and pleasures, their families and circles, their religion, and their arguments about it, and their preparation for going to the mainland, that they did not listen to the cry that came to them from this wonderful being who had himself gone down into the sea. Anyway, if they heard it, they did not heed it, they did not care. And so the multitude went on right before them, struggling and shrieking and drowning in the darkness. And then I saw something that seemed to me even more strange than anything that had gone on before in the strange vision. I saw that some of these people on the platform whom this wonderful being had called to, wanting them to come and help him in this difficult task of saving perishing creatures, were always praying and crying out to him to come to them. 
Some wanted him to come and stay with them and spend his time and strength in making them happier. Others wanted him to come and take away various doubts and misgivings and had concerning the truth of some letters he had written them. Some wanted him to come and make them feel more secure on the rock, so secure that they would be quite sure that they would never slip off again into the ocean. Numbers of others wanted him to make them feel quite certain that they would really get off the rock and onto the mainland someday because as a matter of fact, it was well known that some had walked so carelessly as to lose their footing and had fallen back into the stormy waters. So these people used to meet and get up as high on the rock as they could and looking towards the mainland where they thought the great being was would cry out, come to us, come and help us. And all the while he was down by his spirit among the poor and the struggling. The creatures in the deep angry, in the angry deep with his arms around them trying to drag them out and looking up oh so longingly but all in vain to those on the rock crying to them, with his voice, all hoarse from calling, come to me, come and help me. And then I stood it all, understood it all. It was plain enough. The sea was the ocean of life, the sea of real, actual human existence. That lightning was the gleaming of piercing truth coming from Jehovah's throne. That thunder was the distant echoing of the wrath of God. Those multitudes of people shrieking, struggling, and agonizing in the stormy sea was the thousands and thousands of poor people, of drunkards, Thieves, liars, blasphemers, the ungodly people of every kindred, tongue, and nation. And oh, what a black sea it was. Oh, what multitudes of rich and poor, ignorant and educated were there. They were all so unalike in their outward circumstances and conditions, yet all alike in one thing, all sinners before God. All held by and holding on to some iniquity, fascinated by some idol. The slaves of some devilish lust and ruled by the foul fiend from the bottomless pit. All alike in one thing, no, all alike in two things. Not only the same in their wickedness, but unless rescued, the same in their sinking, sinking down to the same terrible doom. That great sheltering rock represented Calvary, the place where Jesus had died for them, and the people on it were those who had been rescued. The way they used their energies and gifts, time, represented the occupations and amusements of those who professed to be saved from hell, and sin and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the handful of fierce, determined ones who were risking their own lives in saving the perishing were true soldiers of the cross of Jesus. That mighty being who was calling to them from the midst of the angry waters was the Son of God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is struggling and interceding to save the dying multitudes about us from this terrible doom of damnation, and whose voice can be heard above the music, machinery, and noise of life, calling on to the rescue to come and to help him save the world. Can we be done? All right. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, John. It's possible to be saved, to fall asleep, to be on the rock of safety, and yet not caring. And so today my message is to ask you, will you care again? Are you thankful for the ones that God sent to you? I want to tell you a story that I don't even think I could tell too well. It's a story about a fellow who was on the Bowery. His name was Phil. He's in heaven now. And he got saved because his children were in a children's program. And as his children were speaking... The Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, this is what you need. He was a severe alcoholic. He was estranged from his wife. 
He got saved. He gave up everything that was wrong in his life. I was there at his water baptism. His mind was so affected, he couldn't really even testify. But God healed his mind. God healed his heart. God filled him with the Holy Spirit. Every time the church was open, Phil was there. He became a real powerful man of God. But he wasn't satisfied just being saved. So he went to... went to another number of nursing homes and psychiatric wards he went and he started ministry among them and he gathered a little team of those who loved Jesus and he'd go to these places and I remember I was visiting from pilgrim camp and I was ordained and God was using me in that kind of ministry but my observation that day so changed my life I was never able to forget it Phil had a room filled with folks that had cerebral palsy and different maladies. They were not older people. They were people in their 20s and 30s, so disadvantaged. And Phil wasn't a singer, and there wasn't a worship team like we have. But he'd bring a little boom box, and his wife would play, and they were singing this song, God is so good. And please forgive me for this. I want to give you the feeling of how it sounded. 35 people and firm not able to speak. And this volume of voices went up and it sounded like, God is so And as I'm hearing it, I'm kind of like, this is strange. This is unappealing. And the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and I heard this choir in heaven rejoicing and singing. God saw those hurting. God loved those people. God cared for their hearts. And in my mind, my friend Phil had a larger ministry than I had. Folks, they're out there. They're calling. They're drowning. They're needy. And you have the message. Will you go into all your world and give them the message? Hallelujah. I'm finished. Praise God. Praise God. But if you want to be a messenger, I want you to stand. We're going to pray. Come on. Stand up. Praise God. Maybe we should say, Lord, forgive me for all the ones that have passed by. Lord, forgive us perhaps for being loath, maybe slothful in this regard, but today's a new day, Lord. God, you gave me this word, and you gave me this word for our church, for my life, for us here. And Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that God so loved the world. And we thank you for the message that you've given every one of us, the testimony, the reality of Jesus. And God, I ask today that, Lord, you will inspire us to go out, to speak, to speak, oh God, to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to God not be timid, but to be bold, with this word that is so needed in our country today. And God, that you'll use every one of us in Jesus' name. I want to say that there's just a thought that I have. I can't ordain you today. But you know, Jesus said, I call you friends, and I have ordained you that you should go out and bring forth fruit. I'd like to say as pastor, I want to pray for every one of you who want to go out that God is going to lead you to that soul and God is going to make you effective and that soul is going to be touched by your 
ministry and your message. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, we ask today that you'll put a burden in every heart and God will no longer stand idly by, but God will speak forth in the love of God that testimony that is so needed around us today. So few hear it, and God, we have it, and we will not keep it. We consecrate ourselves to you today to be witnesses and to spread forth the word that you have given to us. And God, we thank you, Jesus, that, Lord Jesus, we can be engaged and sent and blessed as we give to the hurting. In Jesus' name, bless us as an assembly. Make us more mindful of this truth. Make us more evangelistic than ever before. And God, use every one of us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.